Hello and welcome to this episode of Home Imaging History, the podcast. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I'm Grace. And I'm Michelle. And this week, well, this episode, we are doing just Black Lives Matter, basically. We're just doing yeah. uh, Black Lives that we want to kind of speak about, mm-hmm. which was, I don't know, nice. There wasn't, originally we kind of had the idea, we were kind of struggling to themes, so we didn't know, and then we are like, yes, this is perfect. But the person I had already, because we were going to do um, just anybody, mm-hmm. and then the person I had was like the same person, I was like, oh, fantastic, I don't have to redo my research. Wonderful. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> and I was a little bit lazy. So, who have you done then for this episode she is called daisy bates okay she was a civil rights activist a publisher and a journalist and she was a lecturer as well nice she was born on november 11th 1914 so is it so she's born is it pronounced arkansas not arkansas yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) which is i feel like that's something that you never like to admit to people like I remember that point when I was like, I know there's a state called Arkansas, but I've read the states and I can't find that one. I can just find Arkansas. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's that place. Now I'm thinking of the vine. You know, the The, one Yeah. America, explain. (laughs) Yeah. I don't get why it's called Arkansas. No, me Um, neither. Yeah. So she she grew up in a a small sawmill town of Huttig, which doesn't sound American at all. So she was born in a shotgun house, which I had to look up, which is basically, it's tiny, like, house. Like, um, there's usually, it's very popular in the South, sort of post-Civil, like, American Civil War era. So it's basically, like, a little house, but the rooms go back on it there's like a room and then there's a room behind it and a room behind it and a room behind it and so the house sort of goes vertically oh, backwards i kind of eventually like you know those they're called like thin houses mm. that, are, that are like built in alleyways i kind of got an image yeah. of that it's kind of like that, really yeah. utilize space yeah, yeah cool so her mother and father was hezakia gatson and millie riley mm-hmm. so her dad was a lumber grader in a local mill. Her mother was actually murdered a few months after she was born. Shit. Yeah. It is really awful. So she didn't actually find out until she was eight years old what actually happened to her mom. So she was raped and then murdered by three local white men. And then... Pardon? Yeah. And she was just dropped into a mill pond afterwards. And then, like, nothing was done about it at all. Police didn't care. And she... Oh, my God. Obviously, she was she was eight when she found out. And she was so angry. To find that out at eight as well, though, is... But after she died, her dad just kind of passed over to a, a, a close friend uh, called Orly Smith, who who was a World War One veteran, and his wife, Susie Smith. And then she okay. never saw her biological father again after that but she did she had quite a close relationship with like a stepdad though okay and he was the one who told her about her mom as well and then she so because she found it out so young she just grew this hatred towards white people yeah like pretty understandably (laughs) i mean yeah as well because i don't think like i know she would have like found that out at age of eight but i can imagine that there that wouldn't have been an isolated like it's because it was the south everything surrounding that would have just been like enforced that kind of idea of hatred so i don't know when it was i don't know how old she was but she just stumbled across a white man and he like looked at her a bit funny and she kind of she got the idea that he was involved in her mother's murder okay and so she would go to like the bar that he used to go to and then because he was a drunken man she'd just belittle him and tell him like 
all these things. And then to the point where okay. they're like, the man was like, can you please leave me alone? And then the guy, he just like, nothing to do with her. He just ended up drinking himself to death one day and like was found dead in an alleyway. Oh, that, okay. Like she didn't do that's anything. Good. It was just like, that's how that ended. Yeah. Yeah. Random. <laughs> yeah. But then on her stepfather's deathbed, he, t- he gave her some advice because he was getting quite concerned with the hatred of white people. And he said, this is a quote, you're filled with hatred. Hate can destroy you, Daisy. Don't hate white people just because they're white. If you hate, make it count for something. Hate the humiliations we are living under in the South. Hate the discrimination that eats away at the South. Hate the insults hurled at us by white scum and then try to do something about it or your hate won't spell a thing. Oh my gosh. A legend. <laughs> like... That was mm. good. And she said that that's stayed with her ever since. I mean, it's going to, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, um, poetic. Mm. So she went to a segregated school, obviously. Yeah. In the South, um, where she she kind of saw the conditions in which black students were, you know, treated and all that stuff. Yeah. And her stepfather died when she was a teenager. Oh. God. I know. And she didn't have that great of a relationship with the stepmother either. So that didn't wasn't a great time for mm. her. And she said that like her with the stepfather he respected her like he never talked down to her. He always talked to her like she was an adult and he treated her nice. like that. And like the the stepmother would sort of it says often clobbered, tames, switched and made to stand in the corner. That's what she punished like how she'd punish Daisy. Yeah. So then when she was 17, she started dating someone called Lucius Christopher Bates. Mm-hmm. who was an insurance salesman. This doesn't make sense. Oh, wait. It says they met when they were 15, but they must have started dating when they are 17. I don't know. He. I mean, that could have been, a, like, a long time of, like, but he friends was... to lovers. When they met, though, he was already married to someone else. Oh, yikes. Yeah. But then yeah. he divorced that wife in 1941. <laughs> and then he married Daisy in 1942. Go, okay. But that's, like, really late, because if she was, she was, what, 22? No, 18. I can't do math. Wait, no, she'd be, like, 28. <laughs> she'd be 28 then, so that, then that must have gone on for a long time. That's a long time for him to, like, be with his wife, but also be with her. Yeah, it did very much brush over that part, though, but, um... <laughs> hmm. So they moved to a place called Little Rock, still in Arkansas, which Little Rock is big. There's a, the Little Rock Scandal. No, oh, was it Little Rock Scandal? I think it's called Little Rock Crisis about the segregation laws, which mm-hmm. comes into play later. And <gasps> so they started the Arkansas State Press because that's okay. what he'd always wanted to start a newspaper and he'd worked in newspapers in the past. And she mm-hmm. joined in. Cool. Yeah. So she was like, yeah, that sounds good. We'll, we'll do that. So as soon as she got there, she joined the local branch of the NAACP, which is... The NAACP. Yep. Yeah. For people who don't know, the National Association for the Advancement <laughs> of Coloured People. I knew all this. Yeah. Yeah. It, that yeah, makes... I've heard sound that like before. It. Yeah. <laughs> she... Because her father was... Well, her stepfather was a member so she wanted to be part of it as mm-hmm. well and she said that like when her stepfather used to go to the meetings he'd bring her back all the literature and like give it to her to read oh amazing i know what an- and then she was actually elected president of the NAACP in 1952 whoa 
Yeah. And she stayed like active in it until 1970. And her, her life was very much like threatened because she was president of it and also a member of it. Yeah. 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 So. Because people suck. Yeah. So she was actually like singled out by white <sighs> idiots, racists who because she was the president she she got special treatment in quotes so they they left two burning crosses on her property jesus christ yeah one was a six foot gasoline soaked structure that they just put in the lawn and on the base of it it says go back to africa and then kkk like signed kkk and the second one was put right in front of a house and actually caught fire to the like the house caught fire but luckily a neighbor spotted it so nothing serious was done they managed to stop it oh my god but i never like i know that the burning cross is like the the symbol of the kkk i don't understand why though no like because jesus was literally middle why... Asian, middle eastern yeah i just i don't because like why do they because they call themselves a you know a religious group in, in, but it's so why set it on fire i just i don't i don't but then they kick up a foot i don't know with flags and fire I, it's a bizarre i don't get it yeah it's really random but the other day i heard something as like a motivational thing someone was like there's this app where you can if you don't do something it sends money to somewhere you don't want money to go so like if you don't do a task it will donate some of your money to the KKK unless you do the task. Uh, <laughs> and that's like no. the motivation to do it, which that's I guess an is awful app. I mean, I'd rather it be like somewhere that isn't dedicated to like. I mean, um, but it's meant to be like really like motivating. Genocide. Yeah, but there are like you know smaller form like you could. I'm trying to think of like a place where I, I go. Like say like the person who used to bully me in secondary school. It could be like you get you know you send mm. money anonymously to her. At least she's not dedicated to like bigotry and racism. Like yeah. you know, I feel like being like it's still motivation, but it's not involving <laughs> the KKK. I know. So back to the newspaper. I kind of skipped that. So it was mostly focused on like African American publications, which is mm-hmm. similar to there was other ones. The the Chicago Defender and the Crisis was similar in vain, and like they'd always talk about civil rights in it. And she was a co-publisher for it. So then she because the stuff was going on with the newspaper as well they were covering a lot of stuff with the segregation laws because they it was made illegal in 1954 but the school in little rock just outright refused to let them come in so she decided to fight against it and so the press that she ran were like publishing all this stuff to try and get it to go further it was the quote that they published was we feel that the proper approach would be for the leaders among the negro race not clabbermouths uncle toms or grinning appeasers to get together and counsel with the school head so she she didn't like the idea that because they wanted to do it like a slow like desegregation so they start off mm-hmm. with the high school students and then they'd work it down to like elementary school but she just wanted okay, like yeah. straight away done just yeah yeah because like every Every time you kind of like try and implement, okay, we'll start off here and then we'll do it here and here and here. There's like, yeah, but then you have to overcome the boundary every single time. And, and then, I don't know, the idea that they weren't going to go for it because it just seemed too radical. No, having any, like, desegregating any mm. age was 
too radical at that time so it's just do it i don't know just because if you're like okay we'll do it for secondary school students but then not uh like elementary school so high school but not elementary school it's like okay but then you're gonna have to have the this same argument when you get to elementary yeah just do it all at once and it's also not taking it seriously either because if you just do it straight away now that's the law there's no hesitancy Mm. there's no like arguing it there's just straight this is done this is the fact this is like the truth and this is what's happening now mm-hmm. which is not like yeah not whereas what they if you did. kind of have that like that period of over it's like oh well we're having to ease you into it because obviously it's a bit strange it's like no it's not strange yeah why was like just have people go- yeah anyway and so so the two years went past and there was still no segregation in the school, like desegregation in the schools. So mm-hmm. they filed a a lawsuit against Little Rock School District um, in 1956. And then a court was ordered that they integrate the schools as of September 1957. And so she was sort of chosen as like an agent to help with this process, even though she doesn't have any kids or any kids that go to the school. So okay, there was nine black students who were selected to attend central high and she mm-hmm. was going to be with them sort of every step of the way to like get them into the school get them signed up and get them like up and going in yeah nice yeah so when they attempted to enroll but it was like the the governor Orval forbes had called out the national guard to prevent them from entering the property and the guards would only let white people into the school gate Ooh. and okay. um so eight students out of the nine were asked to go back home for that day but then the the one student that wasn't she was called elizabeth eckford she because i think they found out the day before that that was going to happen so they just didn't even try to get in but she couldn't get hold of like elizabeth eckford's parents Mm -hmm. oh my god so she just turned up thinking that she could go to school and she was met by like a white mob outside the school and she was like trying to find all the other the eight students that were meant to be there and they they tried to they threatened to kill her they were harassing it and then this northern journalist called grace lorch she took her out of the mob and like guided her to the bus station because like no one was gonna help her and then like daisy said said um in an interview in 1998 that she felt so guilty because she just because they didn't have a, a phone at that point and her father didn't come home from work until like three o'clock in the morning and there was just no way for her to tell her and so she felt really really guilty about it so she then organized ministers to escort the children into the school into like sort of as like a power symbol and she continued to help them get enrolled and she'd like she'd keep in touch with their parents to make sure they knew everything was going on and she was even involved in like all the parent teacher organizations even though she had no kids there i suppose it was perhaps like more helpful that she didn't have kids there in in a way yeah because it meant that she was so involved with like all of the students equally mm-hmm. um like trying to get them to this point she didn't kind of mm-hmm. have like a bias or um a, like towards her own kid that makes any sense yeah so the the day when they actually showed up to the school they actually got in like quite easily okay even though they got through like one of the the less conspicuous entrances but as soon as they walked through the door a um a white female student climbed through a first story window and yelled that she wasn't going to school with the the n-word jesus what oh and then like there was a crowd outside the school sort of watching all of this and it was full of like journalists and citizens and there was eight uh, agitators 
who they were like well known to the FBI at this point who were there to just create havoc basically mm-hmm. and they start they mounted on top of cars and and they said let's get those n-word out of there and they started attacking the police and when the police started to uh, try to calm them down and literally they no one in the crowd had any sort of weapons or anything they were just like the only ones being like this but then they they all got arrested uh, so then uh, a peace a peaceful kind of movement gets taken over by racists with heavy weaponry Mm. in order to agitate the situation at a literal Uh school and at a school right okay yeah and so because of that on the first day of desegregation they decide to close the school for the day because of all the chaos right so Mm -hmm. eisenhower who was president at the time had to get involved and he sent out the arkansas national guard and the 101st airborne division to Little Rock to ensure that the court orders were enforced. Okay. And um, the troops were there and they made sure that it, the desegregation proceeded and it did. Okay. However, in, I don't know if it was the entire school, yeah, I think it was the entire school year of 1958 to 59, the schools were closed in another attempt to roll back desegregation. And like, to Arkansas people, they call this the lost year. Ooh. What? Yeah. Because I don't... Okay. I don't know why. Okay. Just people being ridiculous. I love how the the oh no look hate hate how their idea of like we are angry that you are going to be putting black people into schools. So we are going to protest by not going to school. It's like like racists are already uneducated uneducated bigots. Like you you don't mm. need less education. Just. But I think they just closed the whole school down. Yeah, in her house, she like kept in touch with the Little Rock Nine as they were called, and like her house mm. was. A kind of haven for them and they don't they come over and they make sure everything was all right Aww. um and then in 2002 her house became a national historic landmark whoa mm. and sort of everything that happened like everything they planned to do and to help out happened in the house and it was that's like history like mm-hmm. just feel it yeah um and that was a place where there'd be like the drop-off and pick-up place for the little rock nine mm-hmm. where for every day at school and so like the point of it and what it did do was just send like a strong message throughout the south that desegregation works and like cool. it doesn't like the jim crow doesn't have to be in place in the united states anymore mm-hmm. and that's what it did and then at one point the police arrested her and a bunch of the NAACP figures because they didn't supply public record that they were part of it the NAACP literally basically right, nothing. Okay. there was yeah. absolutely no reason for it like she was so she was leading the group and they were like yes but we don't have it on paper that you're part of this group it's like i think it's pretty much implied and so like it was considered a success like the desegregation because none of the children were hurt physically like i'm sure they have a lot of emotional damage from being in that yeah. school but progress yes yeah i mean yeah progress definitely progress mm-hmm. as well because like it had to be it's just so sad that at some point it had to be children that were that were the ones who had to do mm. it if it makes any sense but you yeah. you couldn't have got around that in any way oh and um because of her involvement in this um the paper that she ran with her husband um was boycotted by lots of white people and it had okay. to close down in 1959 because they just couldn't continue with all the boycotts in place. Mm-hmm. But 
In the middle of the, the crisis, um, Martin Luther King Jr. sent a telegram to Daisy to sort of encourage her, that, like, to what she's doing and how, like, it's the great thing to do and it's, like, really helping. Mm-hmm. And he assured her, world opinion is with you. The moral conscience of millions of white Americans is with you. And then he he was a guest at the Bates' house in May 1958, where he spoke nice. at the Arkansas college commencement and then Mm -hmm. he asked daisy to be the women's day speaker at the dexter avenue baptist church and the next year which she did Mm -hmm. and she was that same year she was elected to be a speaker at the baptist church and also to be in the executive committee of king's southern christian leadership conference and then in 1960 she moved to new york city and she wrote a memoir called the long shadow of little rock which cool it won a National Book Award, even though it was 28 Whoa. years later, and on a reprint. Oh. Well, at least it did win. Yeah. Oh, and then she moved to Washington, and she, she began working for the Democratic National Committee. Um, Wait, like Washington, D.C., or like Washington... Washington, D.C., yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Are they not in the same place? No, oh. they're like opposite sides of the country. So Washington, D.C. is in Maryland, which uh... is on the uh, east coast i think but then washington the state is like the top northwest of america crazy <laughs> yeah <it's>, yeah <laughs> but then there's that thing at the moment where they're trying to make washington dc its own oh are they they're make, trying to make it the 51st state yeah it's like um she's been interesting mm. reading in the news anyway carry on and she served in the administration of u.s president lyndon johnson working on anti-poverty mm-hmm. programs and this was until 1965 where she suffered a stroke and then returned to Little Rock Mm -hmm. but she recovered from the stroke and then in 1968 she moved to a rural black community of Mitchellville it was in eastern Arkansas where she concentrated on improving the lives of her neighbours by establishing a self-help program which was responsible for new sewer systems, paved streets a water system and a community centre yeah and then she her husband died in 1980 um, and then she decided mm-hmm. to revive the arkansas state press in 1984 oh like in his um on a yeah that's very mm-hmm. cute and then in the same year she was awarded an honorary doctor of law nice. from the university of arkansas and her uh, memoir was republished in 1986 and the former first lady eleanor roosevelt wrote the introduction whoa mm. yeah and then in 1986 she sold the paper but she still was sort of a consultant on it and she had a say in it and then yeah, like, i kind of like an retirement thing i suppose Mm -hmm. and then little rock uh, decided to honor her and they opened the daisy bates elementary school whoa Mm -hmm. that is (sighs) yep (laughs) and they also made the third monday in february which was also george washington's birthday and daisy bates day too is an official state holiday so wait they they gave her a day that was already a day like they they couldn't have given her a day that wasn't like oh i know like that's lovely but give but her, no, her they could have given her own day yeah that is true yeah especially um, if like to share it with washington anyway <laughs> he didn't own slaves so he sold them all not he still wasn't great but you know I, i'm not yeah <laughs> i carry on and then she died i don't actually know how on november 4th 1999 whoa she mm, yeah a long time lived quite quite a while yeah and there was a documentary made about her 
in 2012 mm-hmm. called Daisy Bates, First Lady of Little Rock. Cool. If you want to know more, there you go. Yeah. But yeah, that's Daisy Bates. And like, I think she had like such a small, it was such a small thing she did, but I think it had such a larger impact than it's given credit for. Like, yeah, huge. Yeah. So she's not she's actually good. that well known. I'm, I say, I'm, I'm kind of just annoyed that like, I didn't know her name. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. Very good. Good choice. Thank you. Shall we take a break and then come back? Yes. We are Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Pline and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system or sharks digestive systems or how many priests are necessary for an exorcism or the guillotine or how much milk can fit in a shopping cart or how to cook dicks or what it means when your nose itches or penguins or why it's called Scotland Yard or proper body disposal or sentencing or how to make it through an entire episode without saying God. How big does a rock have to be to be a boulder? Or geography. Or whether stingrays have teeth. Or crime in Minnesota. Or how medical parole works. Or why people text their crimes to each other. Or the hierarchy of cops. Or what a paper grabber is. Anything about an Alfred plea. The security at Buckingham Palace. If warrants expire. How to start a fire. How much drugs cost. If ducks would make good guard animals. Whether priests have to tell the police about crimes they are aware of and maybe even involved in. Pink stun guns. How much is 11 pounds of cocaine worth? The mechanics of hanging. What happened to Carla Homolka after her release? How to make a car fly. The colonial parkway killer. Do swans migrate. Marital property laws in Florida. If horses can throw up. Do crocodiles hire me? What animals can get drunk? How do you get stuck in a window? Sharks live. International flight security. How do you get a typewriter into your prison cell? What you shouldn't bring to a robbery. But. We're still crazy for a good true crime story. If you don't know anything about these things either, you should come listen to Crime Crazy. Diana, do you have any advice for us? Yeah, you should subscribe to Crime Crazy. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play or Podbean or your podcast catcher of choice. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WordPress, Facebook, Gmail, or Facebook. Call your people. Yes, call your people. And don't end up on next week's episode. Welcome back. Hello. Yes. So, uh, this episode, I have done Mary Seacole. I know the name. Keep going. Yes. Um, so, she was born... I'm just going to kind of start from the beginning. She was born um, in 1805, uh, November 23rd. Mm-hmm. So, many, many years before yours. She was born Mary Jane Grant in Kingston, Jamaica. Mm. Her dad was a Scottish soldier and her mum was um, a free... Uh, black woman Mm -hmm. Um, and her mum was uh, a doctoress which I mean just the title I'm like why did they feel the need to gender the 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 title doctor but um Mm. she would um give individuals so she had a boarding house that she would kind um like treat Mm -hmm. and she would give them uh give aid to them um but she used kind of a, like uh or mainly doctresses did uh, use a combination of like traditional caribbean and african medicine mm. but they were like so knowledgeable about like tropical diseases um and injuries um because obviously that's where mm-hmm. they were then practicing and a lot of their knowledge came from um helping to heal slaves from uh, sugar plantations oh, wow. yeah so this was um in the early then 1800s as well so this mm-hmm. was like before kind of we had like modern medicine as well but they they had so much kind of information about not just like medicine necessarily but also like just hygiene mm-hmm. and about kind of the importance of you know just clean 
equipment and all, all this stuff. So it was like huge, but obviously overshadowed because um, why would they give credit? You know, Mary had kind of uh, grown up here. She'd known, uh, she'd acquired a lot of knowledge of medicine and hygiene from her mother. Um, and she would, she kind of, from what I gather, she like played doctor with like her dolls. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of moved on and she would treat her pets for things. Oh. And then she actually moved on and then treated people. And because her dad was like a soldier, mm-hmm. she was like able to kind of observe the way that like military doctors were working mm. as well so she had like so much like knowledge just from experience and at the time as well she so i think it was oh, just over a quarter of births um in the area mm. resulted in neonatal death mm. um and they were like trying to work out how to stop this and they were looking to europe and how they were trying to do it mm. But she kind of just used um, a West African herbal remedy that she knew, and she got used to both that she just never, she'd never lost a mother or a child. Whoa! Like in every time she treated them, mm-hmm. yeah. So a lot um, of troops, um, like British troops, were in Jamaica at the time mm-hmm. because it was still under British, uh, you know, ownership, um, and it was a place of mass trade. So they used to just kind of send from what I, I can you know gather they used to send troops there to kind of like you know manage the situation that was going on there Mm -hmm. so um but because all of these troops were like you know you know white british troops Mm -hmm. they just they didn't they'd never lived in in jamaica so they they didn't and they their bodies weren't equipped for like the heat and the diseases that they would um Mm -hmm. encounter there so that's why they kind of had these um you know the doctresses were so important there Mm-hmm. So, uh, she went. So Mary went to London in 1921 uh, to stay there. I think to like meet some family, and she kind of went there and back and and for mm-hmm. quite a while. Um, and then when she returned fully in 1926, um, she she kind of worked alongside her mother uh, and travelled around the Caribbean to give care, but also kind of learn more uh, about her medical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and around she so she kept a uh, like a journal of her time, oh, yeah. like for the majority of her life. Um, but and she, while she was kind of traveling around the Caribbean, this was also the same time, it's so like 1838, 30, 1838 was when there was the um abolition of slavery in um in the Caribbean. So mm. she was practicing medicine whilst this was going on. Really so it's, I don't know. Weird, yeah, not weird. I mean, good, horrific that it was happening, but like, yeah, that she was kind of there and practicing at this time. Mm-hmm. So, um, in 1936, she married um, Edwin Seacole, which is obviously mm-hmm. where her surname comes from. Um, and she doesn't really write much about him. <laughs> like, so she wrote an autobiography, and in her autobiography, she dedicates a whole nine lines to him wow. about her, their whole marriage like that's it nine lines um <laughs> he was the illegitimate son of horatio nelson mm. um which is kind of irrelevant but also a really fun fact because um, my first cat was named um, after nelson but um uh, edwin had like bad health um mm. until um 1844 when then he passed away mm. so their marriage was very very short um but for what i can imagine it was like a pretty you know good relationship mm. um and to help with her grief she just threw herself into work mm. she assumed management of her mum's hotel she um 
then went to uh, work in the Panama to help with the cholera epidemic that had happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, then went to help the yellow fever uh, victims in Jamaica. Um, oh and like, so all of this kind of first-hand knowledge, yeah, her medical like experience was phenomenal. Um, and then she went to visit her brother in uh, 1851 uh, where they had an outbreak of cholera. Uh, I forgot to write down where, um, but like she turned up and she was like, "No, I know this mm. because obviously she'd been treating it," mm. um, and she had like, I don't know whether she kind of she came up with this policy, but she worked on the policy that um, the the rich people would pay for their treatment, but she would treat the poor for free, which, mm. I mean, yes. perfect. So um, after that, she did contract cholera herself, so had to kind of take some time out to recover, mm. but she she you know fully recovered. So she'd kind of go around and so she was um, looking after people, treating people, curing diseases, managing a hotel uh, at this time. She also opened up another hotel slash restaurant and she was kind of doing all of this. And and yet, despite this fantastic work she was doing, she was still, you know, receiving a lot of um, racist targeting because white people are assholes. So though she was born free, she still had fewer rights um than like white white people did um uh and as well at the same time she was not just kind of receiving racism from like the law and from like institutional racism but she was also receiving overt racism from uh white americans Mm -hmm. um but she kind of took it all like the way she responded to it just incredible so she people would say stuff to her in a way that was not oh, i don't know how to phrase it not intending to be racist mm-hmm. in quotes so they would say like oh you're a lovely person if only we could bleach your skin to make you a better person mm-hmm. and she would turn around and she would be like oh thank you so much for your comment about you know how much you care about me that you say this but you know what uh how did she phrase it she said um that if she had darker skin then she would just she'd be just as happy and she would still gain respect from those who whose opinion she actually values. Mm. So it was like, it was, oh, lovely. She proudly identified um, as Creole. She would use, um, like, it was in quotes, like, black talk Mm -hmm. um, when she spoke. And she would often uh, comment about how proud she was of uh, how well uh, freed um, American slaves had had done. Like, they had taken on a responsibility afterwards Mm -hmm. and, like, how they like prospered afterwards um but even like on her travels from like place to place mm-hmm. um like she'd like get to somewhere and she'd be like okay now i just need to board this boat to go here and they go you can't board this boat because you know you're black and she was like well so everything was just everything had a little step back mm. because of this 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 bond boundary so when she went back home um, in 1833, she went back to... Uh, 1853, she went back to Jamaica mm-hmm. and she picked up a newspaper. She was like, okay, I, I've done my travels. Picked up a newspaper and she was like, okay, war. So, <laughs> um, in 18... Um, I think I was meant to 1863, not 1853. Um, so, in 1863, the Crimean War mm-hmm. was beginning. Yeah. Now, my knowledge of wars aren't great other than as like a placeholder for time so i had to do a little bit of research as to kind of why this was happening all i know about so that war is florence nightingale that's the one she was involved in (laughs) 
it was the war she was involved mm-hmm. in. Involved in. Uh, Florence Nightingale becomes pretty relevant. <laughs> um, so the Crimean War, for those who don't know, as in like me before I did my research, um, was a war that was kind of going on in the south of Russia, in what is now Ukraine area, mm. um, between the Russians and... So Russia was on one side, and then you had Britain, France, and um, Turkey on the other side. Mm-hmm. And t- uh, Russia wanted control of where... Uh, Romania, Bulgaria and Moldova now are mm-hmm. um, but was then the Ottoman Empire um, which was you know a pretty big deal because the Ottoman Empire was mainly Muslim mm-hmm. but Russia was mainly Christian mm. so Russia invaded invaded, and then Turkey said that you know don't do that and declared war mm. And then Britain and France kind of jumped in because they were like, Turkey, it's okay. We, we'll give you a hand. That's like mm-hmm. the dumbed down version of the Crimean <laughs> War. I'm sure there are going to be people listening to that and like seething because there's so much more. But you know what? For the purpose of this, it's fine. So 50,000 p- uh, soldiers died. The majority of them were from disease. Mm. Um, like more people died of disease than they did fighting because the climate was just so different yeah. that British and French troops just their bodies didn't mm-hmm. respond well. Um, and Mary knew some of these troops because obviously she treated them um, in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So um, because of this, uh, she was she very much kind of wanted to help out in any way she could. Um, so she went to England to try and persuade the nurses that were there that she could join them and that they that she would go over mm-hmm. with them. So the person who was kind of leading the nurses was Florence Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, Mary Seacole went and um, asked... Because they were meant to be... The nurses were then shipped out in the October of um, 18... Oh, God, was it 54 or 64? This is so bad. It's 50. I've got... All my notes are in the wrong order. Yeah. Um, so a month after kind of all the um, war had started, mm-hmm. because like immediately they knew the troops were just suffering because of the diseases yeah. that were going on there. So um, the nurses all said no to Mary. Oh. She turned up and said no. And they said, well, you don't have any formal training. So the answer is no. Mm. And she was like, oh, okay. I mean, I have all of these credentials, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, credits. Um and they were like, yeah, the answer's still no. And she was, like, angry, but, like, you know, just, like, a, a very tame kind of angry, where she was just like, that's unfair. So um, she applied to a charity that was kind of existing at the time, mm-hmm. and she was like, you send people to help. I want to help. Pay for me to go. And they were like, no. So she was like, oh, racism? And the answer was yes. Uh, so Miss Nightingale... Um, massive racist um Mm -hmm. which doesn't come as a shock to a lot of people uh yes she was lovely to soldiers yes uh her bedside manner was awful um and yes she's done a lot to you know for modern day medicine and you know i don't take that away from her Mm -hmm. but also god she was racist um so mary c cole paid for her own way um oh yeah to the crimean peninsula um but what what she did was she like printed off business cards 
so she had the plan of going over there and opening up a hotel mm. and she printed off business cards for this hotel and like sent them there <laughs> to announce that she would be coming nice. <laughs> which yeah brilliant um when she arrived, she met up with Florence Nightingale um, and asked for a bed for the night and was refused. Um, but apparently they were, like, they were like very civil about it all. I don't quite understand. Mm. Um, because it seems like every single step of the way, Mary would be like, can you offer common decency to me? And Florence would go, no, but I'm sure you're lovely. Mm. <laughs> but I don't want any of my staff to, uh, to uh, in any way talk to you. But um, I'm sure you're lovely. And every time Mary would be like, oh, that's racist. But okay. Um, so Mary used uh, spare wood and metal to build her hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, like she'd like find like random doors that had been like dumped and she'd be like, I'll use that. And oh. like, okay, there's a window. I'll use that. There's driftwood. I'll use I mean- that. <laughs> um, and then she also, <laughs> right? She turned up in this country and she was just like, I have plans for this place. They're all lovely. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And she hired local um, people as well to work on it. And then the hotel opened in 1855. And this... Oh, right. So this guy came called um, Sawyer. And he arrived. He was there to kind of write about it. Write a piece. And he arrived and met Mary. And he was like, you are lovely, but you're black. Wow. So the hotel... Yeah. Like... Every time. It's just be like, just... Just say you're lovely. You don't need to add anything. Just So the hotel was mainly used to provide food, supplies and medicine um, mm-hmm. to the troops. But she also kind of went on to the battlefront uh, to sell provisions to the British camp. Uh, she attended to troops that had been brought in from the trenches uh, and earned the nickname among- amongst the troops of Mother Seacole. Mm. Um and she would provide service, services to spectators as well, though mm. the, the term spectators seems very strange to me. And it's I assume it's not what I think it is, but mm. I have images of someone going with popcorn and like watching people fight for a day. <laughs> um, and she also attended to people like under fire and like suffered um, injuries herself, some of which she like never then recovered from. Mm. She also made a point of wearing like really bright clothing. <laughs> That's a terrible idea, like, Mary. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know why, <laughs> um, but I just love the idea. And she would purposefully, like, wear contrasting colours as well. So she'd, like, she'd wear um, a bright blue, uh, you know, dress, but then she'd have, like, yellow ribbons on it. Mm. For, like, like I don't know why, but I, I love the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and her reasoning for going was literally just that she wanted to help. I know I was watching a, a documentary a few weeks ago um, that she was then in, and um, it had said that, she wanted to go because she just she knew the people were there with somebody's uh you know husbands and mm. brothers and fathers and she just she wanted to make sure that that they could return to their homes and just oh, oh my god just so sweet amazing i know and they everybody kind of well most of the troops there had said that like as, as amazing as she was for medicine she was also just as amazing for morale mm. um amongst the troops and even if like she could she wasn't helping attend to someone's wound she was helping because she'd like put the kettle on as they waited for comfort mm-hmm. like oh <laughs> amazing 
She was also, because she kind of, I think, went around quite a bit as well, but then would return to her hotel. Mm. She was joined by this um, 14-year-old or, uh, Egyptian girl mm. um, called uh, Sarah, who, like many people, then just referred to as her daughter because she'd just, like, help out. Oh. And Florence Nightingale came forward and, and she was like, ha-ha, Sarah is the illegitimate daughter of, <laughs> um, you know, Mary Seacole. And it's like, okay, but also um, Mary Seacole is black and... Um, this young girl has blue eyes, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't like impossible, yeah. but is rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, <laughs> this girl is fourteen years old, and war has been raging here for um, two years. <laughs> so <laughs> there was a few flaws mm-hmm. in her, um, uh, yeah, rumors. Uh, so when the battle ended in eighteen fifty six with the signing of the Treaty of Paris, mm-hmm. uh, the soldiers left Crimea. Um, and Mary was kind of made bankrupt. Oh, that's really sad. So, yeah, she kind of tried to sell as much as she could of, of like, her things to the soldiers, um, even, like, the Russian soldiers as well before they left. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of just didn't make enough money. So when she... It, she said, like, when she returned to England, she was poorer than when she had left England oh, originally. Oh. And it was all to help, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, so sweet. And... Like, but but her reputation was kind of rich. Mm-hmm. So everybody knew of her. Everybody knew her as Mary, uh, as Mother Seacole. So um, there was a. They tried to kind of band together um, on her reputation in order to mm-hmm. kind of keep her going. Though a lot of people were still trying to kind of um, ruin her name in the press. Like many people, oh, it re- it's really annoying reading a lot of it because. A lot of the people who were trying to discredit Mary Seacole were trying to do it in order to elevate Florence Nightingale. Mm. So people would say, like, um, you know, Mary Seacole didn't do anything except from, I think in quotes, bring tea and lemonade to the soldiers whilst Florence was, like, revolutionising medicine. And it's like, no, but you kind of, like, they were both doing it. And then the, the methods of which they were doing, I don't know, it's... Oh, it just it infuriates me. Just like, can't you just celebrate two women? Why do you have to to ruin one to credit the other? It just annoys me. So, um, but Mary was also kind of entering uh, a life of um. So because she was now loved, mm-hmm. it meant that she would go to like soldiers' dinners, um, where Florence Nightingale would be the guest of honor. Like, I'd be pissed. But um, yeah. So um. She was also where she was seen wearing like military badges as well. Mm. Um, of which, when they tried to like work out what they were, they found um, that she had like one was a British Medal of Honor, one was a French one, one was a Turkish one, yeah. and then she even like ha- had a Sardinian one mm. for like her work with uh, for the Turkish. Um, okay. And after her situation was written about, they like people just kind of put together a fund mm. to just make sure that oh. she um, had enough to live on. No. Um, but she was still facing, um, obviously, discrimination. The press were trying to insult her and say, uh, you know, don't give her any money because she's an immigrant and she's black. And mm. it's what's so much more infuriating is that these sentiments are still present today. Like, just yeah. fucking pick a different narrative. Um so in 1857, um, she wrote and published an autobiography, mm. which was called The Wonderful Adventures of Miss Seacole in Many Lands, <laughs> which is a perfect title. 
Um, and it was the first autobiography actually to be written and published by a black woman in Britain. Amazing. Oh. Um, and it sold for, uh, you could buy a copy for one shilling six. And in the book, she wrote, like, she wrote about the first, like, uh, 30 years of her life uh, within one chapter. And then she dedicated, like, 12 chapters to the Crimean War. And then in uh, 1860, she then returned to Jamaica um, and said she found it changed. But she was now, like, a prominent figure mm. there because um, her reputation had become so so brilliant. Um, she still had little money. So the Prince of Wales, the Duke of Edinburgh and the uh, Duke of Cambridge, although my notes say Duke of Cambridge because <laughs> I can't type, um, among others donated enough to buy her a home, oh. but then also buy her a property that she could rent out so she would still have income. Oh, that's so yeah. sweet. I know. So I'm going to rush these last bits because, yeah... So in 1870, she then moved back to London, uh, wanting to help out with the Franco-Prussian War. But uh, Florence Nightingale was leading kind of that nursing expedition as well. Mm-hmm. So she just and Florence Nightingale was like spreading rumours, like chatting She's shit, literally the arch saying enemy. like Mary's the current ran. <laughs> you She's are literally her arch enemy at this point. <laughs> literally, yeah. And it's I just it's weird because it's like. Every time Mary Seacole would be like to Florence Nightingale, she'd ah, oh, do you want to be a nice person to me? And Florence would be like, not today, no, probably not ever. But for some mm. reason, they're always spoken about in in relation to one another, yeah. but in an, in a nice way. Whereas, I don't know, you kind of, you want to see more of the narrative of, of the, actually, no, Florence Nightingale was a, was a bitch to her. Mm. And um, they weren't friends. Um, so... Yeah, so Mary didn't really um, get to go on that one. Um, but she did make friends with um, Queen Victoria's um, nephew, mm-hmm. uh, who's called Prince Victor, and he had a marble bust um, made of her. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah, uh, which was then unveiled in 1872. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, she also became like the personal masseuse of the Princess of Wales uh, because she suffered from rheumatism. Oh, wow. Like, oh, amazing. I know. Uh, and then in 1881, she uh, uh, passed away of um, apoplexy, but I don't know what that is. And it was in quotes, and I should have looked at what that was, but I had written a lot by this point, and it's a lot of, lot of words. Um <laughs> And she left um, an estate of uh, £2,500, which is modern day not a lot, but then would have been a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of split between um, her sister and uh, the fund that had you know, helped her. So she mm-hmm. kind of then put all the money back into that once she'd um, passed away. Um, mm. And after her death, it's kind of sad because she fell out of... Um, like narrative mm. so people really only mentioned Florence Nightingale in relation to the Crimean War um and I remember I suppose because the main reason kind of Mary survived straight after was because of her reputation within the troops when the troops had passed away mm. there was there wasn't really anything yeah so mm-hmm. but now she's coming back into Yay. and she she did come back um in 2004, I think, um, they, they led, um, like, a thing to really promote, like, black British, um, 
like heroes mm. and she was then um on mm. on the list and it kind of brought... and even like Boris Johnson made a quote about her saying don't worry it's surprisingly nice for him um uh saying that the fact that he hadn't known about her been educated about her was um like a fault on the British education system yeah. like for once he actually yeah said right things um so yeah that's that's who she was i spoke so quickly i'm so sorry <laughs> i was panicked i wasn't going to get it all down no it's amazing um, but yeah that is my sequel i mean like when i was i must have been like five or six i did a project for school mm-hmm. all about florence nightingale to be fair it would have been extremely simplified because i was five or six but i don't remember any of it like, <laughs> even mentioning my sequel right and it's it's so they're like connected it's just upsetting it's because like like florence nightingale was the legit route and you know mary seacole wasn't like allowed to do it the legit way so she found a way to do it and like yeah who voluntarily goes to the front lines and helps out like no one does that that's crazy i know and like and as well, like, I suppose because the idea that Florence Nightingale's um, educational background was, like, formal education. Mm. I assume. I don't actually know that much about Florence Nightingale. But whereas Mary Seacole was more, you know, she picked it all up from practice. Yeah. But also the medicine she was using wasn't, you know, it was rooted in, like, Caribbean medicine and kind of, like, more herbal remedies. Which means that I suppose people just kind of just went, yeah, with it. Mm. So. And it's amazing how she just travelled everywhere. <laughs> like, literally, yeah. when the American slave trade was in full force. And she just she just went out. Yeah. Like, she was probably a bit scared, but, like, seemingly completely unfeared by anything. You know, she'd fought to get well, places. I know there was... There was a bit when she went to London, uh, I think it was tw- uh, 1821, mm. and she had to have a companion with her. And I think her companion was Indian. So, mm. like, um, I don't know, you, you know, she had to go with somebody, but that person would also have been kind of, like, in the, in you know, amidst, yeah. you know, everything that was going off there. But then it said, you know, because th- it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of black people in Britain. yeah. yeah. Um, around the time, despite what the media will, will have you believe. Um, but when she then went back, she didn't have anybody go with her. Mm. Like, just, I mean... Crazy. Oh, but amazing. The, I know, badassery of just being like, it's fine, I'm going to go on my own. And I think for some reason it was quote, it was credit, uh, commented that like she went back um, with like a huge like stock and trade of preservatives. Mm. So she was just like, yeah, I'm going to go back to Jamaica, pick up some jam, and then I'll head back. <laughs> it's just... Oh, Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. And didn't let any of it phase her. Mm. Like, I'm sure it did. Yeah. But every, yeah, comment that they gave her, she was just like, oh, well, I'm doing well, so... Mm. Mm. Do you have any recommendations for this week? Yes. Do you want me to go first so you can think of it? So, <laughs> yes, please. Um, I'm pretty sure it's it's made by women, but Harlots. 
it's definitely somewhere along the line. I'm sure, pretty sure the creator is a woman. Is it? Are you looking? Yes, it is. Because okay. I just finished um, the, the third season. And like what you said about the, what the media has you believe that there's no black people in Britain at the time. It's very apparent yes. and it's completely normal to an extent in that show. Because there's still like the threat of slavery yeah. and stuff like that, but still, it's a good representation. It's also a good show. It's yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's very good actually. Um, very relevant. Mm. I think I um, so I read uh, a book recently. So I really bad. I haven't really read much very recently, um, like the past week or so. But um, uh, I read uh, Queenie by uh, Candice uh, Carty-Williams, mm-hmm. uh, which is really, really good. Um, it's about, um, you know, a black woman um, living... Uh, and it's, it's kind of about her relationship with other people, with her own body, um, mm. but it's not... I can't... I don't know how to explain it, but although the book isn't... Um, the whole story is not about the fact that you know she is black but it's so relevant in every single page Mm. but it's like because it's just like that's just what she lives with every single day so although it's about actually her relationship with her own self-worth relating to um her body it's like yeah but every time she has a relationship with somebody she she also has that to think Mm -hmm. about which is relevant with um, her ex mm. but no that's also a very good book um, Ooh, so that is my recommendation mm. yes true um, mm. yeah well thank you for listening please yeah. <laughs> like and follow and share the podcast whatever you may like yes yeah. um, have a good week I'm sure see you next yeah. time yes <laughs> bye Bye.